right, and we are rolling once again. I am Lee Grant. This is not Kevin Pendergrass because Kevin is still out of pocket, unfortunately. We long for his return. Kevin, buddy, we miss you. We look forward to having you back. Whenever Kevin does get back, we have some really cool stuff in the works. But in the meantime, I am left to my own devices. And so I thought that in keeping with what we did with last week's episode where we had Daniel Rogers back on to talk about his perspectives, his convictions, and his paradigm shifts, that we would keep that party going, albeit with a different guest. Joining us today on the podcast is a very dear friend of mine, a really good friend of mine who I've come to know over the years and who I value tremendously. Her name is Sarah Gonzalez. We have been friends for a while, and she has so graciously agreed to come on the podcast and kind of tell her story of her journey of faith and spirituality. And we are very excited to have you as a guest, Sarah. Thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you for having me. <laughs> yes. Well, we are very excited to have you. Go ahead and bring that mic just a little bit closer. Perfect. Yeah, we... We're kind of trying to figure out what we were going to do in the interim while Kevin's still handling a lot of his family business. And in talking with him and in talking with other people, a lot of the feedback we get from our listeners is that they appreciate how helpful this podcast has been in helping them reorient themselves in their faith. Um, it has been helpful for a lot of people because they are able to hear someone else tell their story. There's so much overlap out there in Christianity and in faith in which we tend to wrestle with some hard concepts we struggle with different things and for a lot of people they end up leaving faith behind or they leave religion behind completely and then there are other people who reorient themselves and take a different approach to their faith a different approach to the bible they look at the scriptures in a different way and they come out ahead they come out more mature than what they were before they come out in a better place and based on the conversations that you and i have had in the past about this where i've shared with you kind of my story, you listen to the podcast, you've heard it, you've shared with me your story. It's it's really interesting how two people from different backgrounds who take, you know, highly different paths tend to arrive at a lot of the in many ways the same place. So I'm really happy that you decided to come on here. Well like I said, thank you so much because uh what you and, and Kevin are doing, uh what you have done, I, I really think that it's uh it's helping a lot of people, um, you know, myself included, but it's, it's breaking down those barriers that uh, the church has built for so long. And, you know, sometimes everybody thinks that those things are like worldly to ask those questions and, and then, or, or there, maybe there's like fear. That, yeah. And, you know, it's healthy. You have to grow out of that. Yeah. Well, and the, the whole idea of not being able to ask questions, because that's probably the biggest feedback that we get from other people, or the, the most common statement that we receive is people say that, you know, I've, I've had these questions that you guys have, have dove into, and I've had questions as well, and I haven't had a place to ask them, and, and you know, that's something that I've said over and over again. There are questions I didn't feel like I could ask. There are questions that felt like it was almost sinful to ask them because so much of our spiritual formation and spiritual experience is based on certitude and certainty in the positions we hold. And whenever you question those positions, it's like Daniel talked about in the last episode, that you're not really able to grow or move beyond the people that you're tethered to. And whenever you're tethered to a particular group of people, you're you're really hindered by the groupthink that you find yourself in and whenever you begin to 
expand your spiritual horizons beyond that status quo of that group you're in, well, at this point, in their eyes, you're an apostate. You know, at, at worst, a heretic at best. And, you know, it's, and there are even people that say, well, it's okay to ask questions as long as you arrive at the conclusions that we've all arrived at. And if you don't, well, that just means you need to study more. <laughs> right, you know? right. Yeah. But I'd like to go ahead and give our audience a little bit of our background. Um, whenever we first met, you came in as a patient of mine. And we met each other, took care of you for a while, was able to help you out. At least I like to think I was able to help you oh, out. Oh, definitely. Yeah, buddy. And then um, at that time, you were a curator at the uh, local art institute here in, in Ardmore. Tell so, us a little bit about that. So actually, I was our studio's manager. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. The curator, he was, he's a good friend of mine, but yeah, I was... Most I don't know what those things mean, <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad you clarified. Yeah. I mean, I had many hats over... Uh, I'll give a plug for the Goddard Center in Ardmore. Uh, yes. Definitely check them out. They've got amazing shows that come in for free in the galleries. Um, yeah, I can't say enough good things about them, but... Um, yeah, for the most part, it was it was working for the art studios and having. I, I taught some classes and stuff with the kids. I, I got to teach some pottery, um, drawing. Just just really enjoyed my job. I loved it. Oh yeah, and you and your husband had your first child, which is what led you to make the decision to leave that particular career, that particular job behind, so that you could devote more time to being a mother which I think is amazing. <laughs> I think that was a really good call. And yeah, your daughter, like I said, she's, she's my adopted niece. Yep, I love that kid, she's amazing. She almost makes me wanna have another one, but if I bring that up with Kim, she just glares <laughs> at me, you know. But I had had you, whenever we really got to know each other better, I asked you to um, create an art piece for me. It's hanging in my office now. If you guys are interested, let me know. I'll post a picture of it. Um, but you painted it, it's this massive piece, it's four feet tall, it's 24 feet long, and it is absolutely amazing. It is absolutely bonkers, it's really cool. Well, that time you would come into the office and you would work on it, we got to visit, we got to talk, and while I was still going through very much that process of reevaluating my faith and growing and wrestling with so many of those questions, we've had a lot of good conversations, which is why I wanted to have you on, because you've been down a very similar road, you've been down a very similar path in your life. Um, we both came from charismatic backgrounds, and we yep. both have experienced so much of the good that can come from that kind of an upbringing. And I think like me, I know you've expressed that you appreciate so much of that. But there's also a lot of, well, for lack of a better term, a lot of trauma that can come from that kind Most of upbringing definitely. as well. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So I know that you had expressed that you're a little nervous about being on the podcast. It's... <laughs> And it, it can be a little nerve wracking if you're not accustomed to talking, you know, a lot like Kevin and I are, but I'm glad that you're willing to do that anyway, because I think a lot of people can benefit from your story. So we've kind of introduced you. Why don't you tell us about yourself from your perspective? Um, it's the hard thing talking about yeah. yourself. It can be hard. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if I ever told you this as far as like the art stuff goes, but have we ever talked about like the reason why my name doesn't say Sarah Gonzalez on the corner? No, I, I know that you've, I know that that's your art name, that that's right. the, kind of the pseudonym that you use, but I don't know the reason behind it. <laughs> so I was Sarah Smith before I was Sarah, uh, Sarah Gonzalez. Do you know how many Sarah Smiths are in the world? There are a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there are a lot of Sarah Smiths. Um, and then I, I even thought about, you know, my middle name, Sarah Beth, uh, 
you know how many Sarah Beths are in the world? There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I was uh, in high school trying to figure out a way so that people could actually find my artwork. And I was like one of those little emo kids. Um, I've seen the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> back. They're really cool looking. So I came up with the pen name uh, Torpid Rue. And what that means is stagnant regret. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And I struggled, you know, like once I actually got to to like my adult years, I was like, do I want to like try to like veer away from that? And I was like, no, actually, what that means is every time I, I sign off on something, whenever I complete my artwork, um, means that I'm moving forward and that I'm not going to regret this. So yeah. I won't stay stagnant and I'm going to be okay with whatever, because it's a completed masterpiece and then get over it. You know, it's not yours, your baby anymore. So it's like, all right. Torpid Rue it is still. Well, and I've seen <laughs> I've seen more of your work, and it is really fantastic. And and if you have a place where our listeners can check out some of your work and they can see some of what you've done, if you want to drop that link at the end of this conversation, remind me, and we'll do that. But it, it's interesting, though, that, you know, someone that has a religious background like what you had, that that is the pseudonym or the, uh, what's the word, the alias that, mm -hmm. that you would land on, stagnant regret. It's 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 interesting that that's kind of where your mind would go but whenever you're in that moda that modality whenever you're in that place of kind of wrestling with things as as you have mentioned in other conversations we've had that you were it it does kind of make sense so what was your upbringing like as far as your your christian experience was from your younger years so adjectives there probably something like inconsistent or submersive <laughs> <laughs> okay okay yeah so. uh a whole bag of skittles i got a little bit of everything okay and that's probably why i'm a little bit messed up <laughs> <laughs> i think we all are though if we really yeah. think about it so from the from the young age like in your early childhood what was what what banner what christian banner did you guys fly your flag under so um, I, I kind of want to start with my parents first because that kind of has more to do with why it was such a, a struggle in our home. Let's do it. Uh, so my mom, she came from a Catholic background, but her dad was... Uh, Pentecostal? No, no. And Methodist. Methodist. There, there you, you go. go. Sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> and in the Catholic home, uh, your kids are brought up in, in the church, like no matter what. So yeah. even her parents they went to two separate churches every sunday they had completely different uh, practices and everything you know mm -hmm. um that was her example and my dad's was pretty similar in the opposite end of the spectrum that he was raised mostly seventh day church of god which is a little bit different than adventist uh, yeah. but it, they, they keep a lot of the same things now, the Seventh-day Church of God, I'm not really familiar with them. I know they tend to be more charismatic, but are they Sabbath keepers? Yes. Okay. Uh, and I would even say, um, so yes, they're charismatic, but like the, the not boundaries. Not running around and, the pews and, or No, no like by that. any means. Okay. Yeah, it's, 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 well, that particular church anyway, because I did get to experience the church that he was raised in um, as well. That one was a little bit, I would say, dry, but yeah. hey. Yeah, what can <laughs> yeah, you do? Yeah. Yeah, it can't rain all the time. Um, and then his, his dad was kind of just, uh, I was raised Christian, and I do what I do, and I don't really read the Bible. So, <laughs> so okay. that was his example. 
Um, and then they came together after three months of knowing each other. Oh, wow. Yeah, my mom being a Catholic uh, background and then his being Seventh-day Church of God. And my mom, like the reason why they ended up meeting in the same place was because my mom was kind of searching through some of those things and, and she had left the Catholic Church and she was interested more in, in uh, like the Messianic Jewish culture, which yeah. does line up with a lot of Seventh-day Church of God, yeah. which is what my dad, you know, mostly held on to. Um, so they started their marriage off kind of sort of on the same page, but as they grew, uh, some of the older stuff, I mean, there was always division in my home. There was always division in their marriage between them. Uh, you know, they, they did end up staying married for about 18 years, but then they ended, ended in divorce uh, for yeah. a good reason, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it seems like whenever there's so much of that kind of division that goes on, it, whether it's in a spiritual sense or in any other facet of a marriage, those that that division can permeate into other areas. And I know whenever my parents divorced, there's... There's a lot more to that story that I think you and I have talked about before mm -hmm. that we won't get into on the podcast, but it's, it's interesting to see overlap in so many people's lives whose parents are deeply religious, they have a deep faith, but because of a divergence from one another in some area of their lives, that will tend to creep into those other areas, and then before you know it, it's almost as if divorce is really the only option that exists if reconciliation can be found. So it's it's really interesting to hear that and to and to note that is as well. That's that's interesting. So the the first part of my life, I would say, uh, birth to like third or fourth grade, was was heavily influenced by the Seventh Day Church of God. Um, we didn't keep Sabbath. I would say that's probably the one thing because my dad was more on the grace side. Of just that particular area but we didn't eat pork or shellfish um, we didn't celebrate Halloween uh, Easter or Ishtar <laughs> yeah yeah um, Christmas we didn't celebrate Christmas in our home uh, but my mom she still did so we would still celebrate Christmas at my grandma's house and my dad would stay home yeah with a Catholic background right kind of right hard yeah. to celebrate Christmas. Yeah. I mean really so that would say that was probably the one thing. Like we stayed home from school whenever there was like the school parties and stuff like that. And, you know, yeah. no, I, I feel you on that one. I feel you. We didn't celebrate Halloween growing up either. And we always did Christmas. Christmas was a big deal for us. But and I, I don't remember if I got into this in the solo episode I did. But like my wife's family within the Churches of Christ, there's a lot of very conservative folks within that group that don't celebrate Christmas. They don't celebrate Easter in the traditional sense because, or, or at all because of the paganism and the right. Catholic influence and yada, yada, yada. It, you know, you know that you've heard that before, but that, that seems to be a common thread in a lot of your really, really ultra conservative groups. Well, and I, I mean, I, I do understand it like yeah, from it. their perspective. Um, but it's, moving past it that's <laughs> it, it can be difficult yeah it, it can be difficult there can be a lot of baggage there i know for halloween that one was a pretty easy one for me because what's more fun than dressing up like your favorite superhero grabbing a bag and going and begging for candy you know <laughs> definitely so, yeah those those are some good memories we've had there so af after the third or fourth grade at, at that point what changed um so my dad began to kind of break away from more of the legalistic or um 
I use a different word. I, I usually say religious because I, I feel like religion is man-made. And yeah. so, um, and it was, they were starting to have some issues even more so in, in their marriage. So they, it was just important for them to actually be in a church and to have their kids in a church. So um, the first church that I really remember going to and the, the one that I got saved in or uh, baptized in um, was a, a Pentecostal church. Mm-hmm. And it was about a congregation of 15 people and, and half of them spoke Seminole Creek. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, the, the town that I'm from is, is very tiny. So, you know, it was like a, a bubble from the outside world in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, you are isolated in a lot of ways. And I know for us growing up and being homeschooled and growing up in Ringling, which is a very small town, yeah. is, yeah, I feel you there. You're in a bubble. You're a bubble boy. It's, it's, it's got its pros and cons to it. But yeah. it was cool that I got to experience some of that culture and stuff through the church as well. And that they accepted this, like, super pasty white girl. You know, that's great. <laughs> They're still, I, I still love them uh, deeply. I really do. Um, but I would say through, through that church, we also attended any kind of revival that was associated or we, we would go to church two times on Sundays, you know, morning yeah, and Morning night. and evening. Yep. And uh, there was definitely, I mean, it, we, so is it Pentecostal holiness this with the snakes? Well, that's, that is an offshoot. It is a holiness. Not all Pentecostal holiness are snake handlers, but almost all snake handlers are Pentecostal okay, holiness. So yeah. And that's more of an Appalachian thing. So yeah. Well, so mm-hmm. we were just, uh, that particular church was more just uh, like Pentecostal, but occasionally we would hook up with another church and go to the revival. And, and I did get to experience that one time. <laughs> oh, nice. I never got to experience snake handling. That'd be, that'd be kind of fun. I mean, I have a pet snake at the house, but he's a python. He's really, really chill. It's, it's not like these rattlesnakes or copperheads that they're taking up and handling. So there uh, you go. So yeah, um, everything from pretty much everything that you know, I think that you've probably experienced with uh, the modesty clause you know we did a lot of the the dancing and uh, that's a sin <laughs> be dancing it's a sin unless you're dancing before the Lord and all your might with all your might like David and then There's, that's cool but don't you be dancing uh, speaking in tongues and uh, falling out in the spirit you yeah. know every, every like morning and evening you know? oh absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely um, I would say it's probably like a, a BYOT Pentecostal yeah. church. You know, bring yeah. your own tam- tambourine. Yeah, <laughs> bring your own tambourine. That's and even now, like I'm a percussionist. I'm a drummer. And your husband's a drummer. Yeah. And I'm a drummer. I love percussion instruments. I've got a djembe. I've got congos. I've got an electric drum kit. I love percussion instruments, but I love tambourines. <laughs> and it's because the sister church to ours, the one I grew up in, everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone had a tambourine. Anytime I hear a tambourine, it literally triggers me and I start to turn red. I can't do tambourines, man. They drive me nuts. ah, So I'm with you there, girl. I know how that goes. It ain't fun. I guess most of of what that experience for me was, uh, I mean, it it was very secluded. And I, I, I do remember it like, 
I did get to bring one friend with because we were like I, it was their their daughter and and myself and we were the only kids there other than like these younger younger ones. And one time I brought one of my my best friends. She's from California. She'd never experienced that and it freaked her out. You know, <laughs> it does. It tends to freak people out if they're not accustomed. To it. <laughs> yeah. So like I you know I I understand. I at least got a, an idea. <laughs> Like, oh, maybe, maybe this isn't normal. And I'm not going to say normal by any means because it is normal. But well, it's based on your experience, right. though, because like <laughs> that is your experience. That is what you have experienced in your life. That is what you know to be normative. And whenever you're at that age and your your level of experience is, is limited to what you have experienced, and it's really truncated, it's not very broad. And so in your mind, it's like, oh, yeah, this is what it's I know that's how I felt about it. So whenever I would go to church with other friends or we would go somewhere else, it's like, wait a minute, why is everybody sitting down? Shouldn't everybody be standing up? You know, why ain't people clapping whenever this is going on? <laughs> or running so, up and down the yeah, aisles. Running around the <laughs> aisles, you know, crashing out in front, in front of the altar. So, no, I, I feel you there. So your friend, I, I would assume that they didn't appreciate it all that much then? Uh, yeah, I mean, she'd had, even at that age, she'd had a bad experience in, in California. So it kind of like set her off even more towards like Christians. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, it was mm-hmm. not. <laughs> so at, at that point, was there anything that, that you had started to question or anything that you had started to wonder, you still, or were you still pretty much... Um, accepting of a lot of what you had been taught and a lot of those inherited beliefs and what you had seen and how you had synthesized what you had taken from your dad and his faith journey, what you had taken from your mom and her faith journey. Because a lot of times we take what our parents give us and what our preachers tell us and the other people that are in our faith group, what they espouse, and we synthesize our own faith based on the experiences of others and that inherit those inherited belief patterns and doctrines and dogmas and things like that were you still pretty much all in at that point and just trucking along or were things starting to change for you at that point so i would say i i became more aware of of who god was uh through those experiences and i and i wanted him in my life i wanted i wanted everything that they talked about you know like i I wanted to be good but through a lot of it it was um everything was demonic <laughs> yeah and yeah. everything was a, a a gateway everything if you if you didn't protect absolutely everything including i mean and i'm not saying that you you, you shouldn't do that but uh if you didn't protect your mind and your thoughts and how you act and all that it like it was a foothold for satan and so in that way it also brought on fear yeah. just tremendous fear and guilt about absolutely everything and so the more like at that point in time my idea of who god was was that yeah he loved me um but he kind of had to because he's god <laughs> <laughs> he's obligated right right like he's disgusted by me and the sin in my life and and everything that i can do to to screw up basically is, is going to give the enemy a foothold. <laughs> and if I don't fall on my face and repent, 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 then I'm going to go to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, and, and that's not really a healthy perspective. And that tends to be an unintended consequence about so many uh, involved with so many of these fundamentalist perspectives that exist. And 
And I say that in, in a way, and I, and I hope people don't misunderstand, I don't intend that to be a pejorative because I know a, a lot of really, really good people, a ton of wonderful Christian people who belong to different, you know, groups that are more fundamentalist than what I am, and even more fundamentalist than what I grew up with, and they're wonderful people. Um, so I don't want people to think I'm disparaging that idea. And whenever I say fundamentalist, I mean that in purely a descriptive form. I don't mean that in a pejorative way at all, at all. But it is. Like you're saying, everything's a, a, a foothold for the devil. I remember this book that was on my parents' bookshelf whenever I was a kid, and I love the cover of it because it had a picture of Castle Grayskull and He-Man on it, and it had G.I. Joe and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all this other stuff, and it was called Turmoil in the Toy Box. And, and the idea of the book was how, you know, toys and popular culture and all this from those 80 shows like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Transformers and all this other stuff, how that is a demonic influence in which the devil will pry his way into your child's soul and separate you from God. And my parents being the wonderful parents they were and wanting to love us and raise us in the Lord, they wanted to take every measure they could to be the best parents they could be. They absolutely had their hearts in the right place. But I think, and, and I think my mom would tell you this if you, if you were to ask her, I think they realized that they may have gone a little too far in that direction <laughs> yeah. because, I mean, there were episodes of DuckTales we weren't allowed to watch because of Magicka Dispel, the, the witch villain yeah. that was on it. We weren't able to do it. So, and then my sisters who were born about nine years after my brother and I were, were significantly older than they are. They're able to watch all this stuff and do all these things. I'm like, this isn't even fair. Come on, guys. But it, it is, though. It's, it's, it's interesting how so many things that are involved either in culture or pop culture or other things are perceived as a threat to one's spiritual well-being whenever so much of that is a product of its own subculture within that faith group itself. Especially in the Bible Belt. Southern oh yeah Oklahoma, you know? <laughs> absolutely it really is so what at what point did things start to change for you at what point did you start facing some of those questions or those concepts or prospects that you had difficulty navigating because of the inefficacy of the tools that you were given to parse those things out so i would say um once we I guess so they they we changed churches or, or that church ended up uh, dissolving basically the the members couldn't uphold it anymore yeah um they were continuing their counseling and their marriage and so that's whenever we started to kind of church shop and we fell more into the non-denominational um which i've you know i kind of felt that was more of uh like just not having a label on and, and trying to just search out Jesus, you know, like I yeah. felt like that was the direction that I wanted to go. Um, but I would say whenever I first started to actually go to church on my own without my parents, that was probably uh, the big turning point for me. And it ended up being in a, in a Baptist church there in, in my hometown. Um, but it was the, the bubble of the youth group. That's the difference is that it was a very uh, unconventional <laughs> youth pastor and I, yeah. I I still I see him as, as like one of my father figures um, yeah. because he he sat in 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 that that room when we met it was kind of like you know the the 12 disciples like you have a very small group and, and there was the, the community and the brotherhood sisterhood 
he created like a safe place to talk about those those questions and that's in, cool. invited us like he he asked the hard questions he started off every single class asking us a hard question and and instead of being some dude up the front just like talking about and like trying to teach us this this whole night or whatever um he would start off with like all right this is what we're gonna go over and like he would bring up you know uh, a couple of scriptures and then be like all right well what do you think about this Sarah and I never experienced that. I was like, wait, we get to have an input? Like, <laughs> we get to actually like converse about this and, and share what's on our hearts. And he, he delegated like so much time outside of the church too, because a lot of us in, in that small town, we, we all had a lot of issues in our home lives. Yeah. And so it, it also kind of became an escape from our homes so he would take a like we every friday night we would take the church van and go to starbucks and then go to the mall or we would play hide and go seek in walmart <laughs> yep yep that's what we do in small towns yeah I've done that too <laughs> oh yeah um it, it created a bond and and he did become like the father figure that i was so desperately like needing at that time yeah that was probably that was freshman to sophomore year in high school Cool. Well, it's it's so good to have those experiences. And whenever you're saying that, it really makes me think of a book that I read a while back by an author named Rubel Shelley. He was a um, preacher within the Churches of Christ for a long time, and he reoriented himself into a more Christ-centered view of Scripture and left a lot of those legalistic tendencies behind. And he still he teaches theology at a school. I can't say which one because I don't know. But he wrote a book, and in this book, um, someone was asking, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this because I don't have it in front of me, but there was a conversation they had with someone and they um, asked him, well, well, if church wasn't this, you know, worship service with these five acts of worship that the churches of Christ are so fond of talking about, well, then what was it like? He was like a church service in, in that day in the first century, it was more like what you'd find in an AA meeting. You've got people sitting around talking, sharing in life sharing in their experiences, talking about their struggles, people forging real community and real bonds and real connection with one another. And Kevin and I have talked about this on this podcast multiple times. So often you don't get that. Church is a place or a building you go to. You go in, you sit on your pew, you sing the song, you hear the sermon, you throw your money in the plate, and then you go. You don't know the people there. You don't forge a connection or relationship with those people. And in that sense, you really don't have the community that the church is called to have. Because the church ain't a building, it's the people. Exactly. And what you're describing in that youth group just sounds amazing. It sounds like a really good representation of what church should be. So it's good that you got to experience that. One of the other cool things about it was that, because like, okay, so being a Baptist church in Oklahoma, everybody and their dog went to Falls Creek. You know, I've probably been like seven or eight times myself through other friends and stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, I started my husband journals at like 13 there. So, I mean, it wasn't mm -hmm. all for naught, but you know. Um, but he particularly like hated the idea of it just because of it being a, a mass flow and it's, you know, like 7,000 people who are all there to go on icy dates. Uh, for, yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. Anybody not from Oklahoma, like icy date is like they have icy stands there, and everybody would wait on a brick wall outside, like when we got free time, and like, go look, 
some people would hook up but anyway yeah. you go get an icy <laughs> yeah 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 how um, many flavors do they have i never went to falls creek oh really I wasn't, uh, yeah i wasn't one of those you know mad wild worldly kids so yeah i never went <laughs> Well, so the, the whole purpose that he wanted in that was that, uh, so like we went to other states and um, we would do like winter retreats and, and summer, like a whole week in Florida changed my life. Really? Absolutely. Like that's, that's the biggest turning point in my life that I had. Well, what happened then? Tell me about it. So well, on the way down there, I started a book um, by John and Stacy Eldridge called Captivating. I don't know if you've ever heard of Wild at Heart for dudes. I have, yes. So Captivating is the one that's for women. And mm -hmm. I, I was uh, like 16 at the time. So, and like I was talking about earlier, like I wrote husband journals earlier before that in like eighth grade, I took a purity vow whenever I, yeah. like at a friend's church and stuff. So like my whole focus in life was just like, all right, my husband, you know. Um, so that book is like, the that's the reason why I started that book. But then... I actually learned a lot of psychology about like what happened in the fall of man and uh, how God pursues us and romances us in, in our daily lives through nature. Uh, the book calls them kisses. And yeah. I, I fell in love with that idea of the fact that God will send us little messages if we slow down enough to pay attention to him. To stop and smell the roses, right, so to exactly. speak. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so was that the point in which your perspective began to shift? Because earlier you had mentioned that, you know, here's God who loves me because he has to, because he's God, even though I'm a disgusting, repulsive, evil, wicked, depraved sinner. Right. God still, you know, he loves me, but I'm just horrible and awful in every way. And was that, did that book kind of start to change your perspective on God and who he is and who you are in his sight? Absolutely. Um, and in tandem with the week in Florida, because as I was reading that, and then like I, I, I got there, we, we, we got there to our hotel and stuff that was right there on the beach. We got to watch like schools of dolphins come through and it was like, okay, God, like I see, I see that you are romancing my heart and that there was this huge storm that was just amazing. And I got to watch that and God met me where I was at, you know, he spoke to me in a way that I actually could listen for once instead of it being fed to me and, and just accepting whatever was given to me um, yeah. as we tend to do in our younger years or even older sometimes. It, well, yeah, <laughs> a lot of times we still do that because a lot of folks are, because of that fear, they're too afraid to, to allow another perspective or another method of communication from God to them through nature or through the word or through the words of a friend or, or whatever else it may be, they're too scared to do that because it runs counter to what they believe to be representative or reflective of God's nature in and of itself. So it's, it, it can be really hard for a lot of people. A lot of people aren't able to see that. I know, you know, you're talking about how you're in high school and you're in Florida and you're seeing this and I'm like, holy smokes, I'm in my thirties before I'm seeing this. <laughs> so I'm kind of jealous in a way. Well, I mean, there's this, th I'm a late bloomer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what else happened there in Florida? So I would say also, you know, scripture refers to it as uh, the mystery of Jesus. You yes. Know? Um, 
It's the first time I ever got to experience what that mystery actually was, the enticement and, and the pull of something bigger than myself. And it wasn't so much like, okay, you need to do A, B, and C because the Bible tells you to. It yeah. was like, I want to do A, B, and C because that lines up with what God has planned for me. Like he wants those good things and that, I, I don't know, it was just a, a completely different mindset that it actually allowed to happen for me. Yeah. Um, so that was where that started for you. You started to reevaluate things in light of your understanding of God. And instead of wanting to do X, Y, or Z because the Bible says so, that was just naturally an expression of your fidelity. It's something that you were doing, not because you had to, but it's like, I'm a Christian, so I do this. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it was, there's, there's, there's a line to toe, I guess, as, as believers in Christ that, yeah, I mean, we we want to do what the, the Bible asks us to do because like of the respect and and who God is, but it was the first time that He ever actually became more than like a fairy tale or more than like a deity on the edge of His cloud, you know. Yeah, more than someone who's way out over here and who's right. just far away. This God became real. He wasn't a concept anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So what what did that do to your spiritual formation? What kind of an effect did that have on your relationships, things like that within your faith community? Because it sounds like your faith community was a pretty healthy community at this point in life. It, it was. I mean, in, in that season, uh, because it was short-lived, because, uh, and I, I don't hold anything against him or anything like that. You know, it was hard to deal with at the time, but... Uh, he found the love of his, of his life, and he got married, and he moved up to the city. Who was this? Uh, my youth pastor. Oh, sorry. okay, okay. Yeah. I'm with you now. And those were huge shoes to try to fill. Um, I can imagine. Especially being a conventional Baptist in a, in a very Baptist church, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I, I, I continued to try to attend church after that. But I, I missed so greatly what we had. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, I would too. I mean, you have someone who is engaging you on a very real level, and through that engagement, you're building real community. And then it's like, deuces, y'all, I'm out. You know, you find yourself a, a lady, and you're you know, going to settle down and start your own family, and you, you, know, you skedaddle. It can, you almost... It seems like someone would feel abandoned in, in a situation like that. Uh, especially because I had dad issues to begin with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was like I had finally found what it was that I was looking for for so long. And to look back on it now, like I see, I see where God was in all of it. You know, like it, it's, it's not like it's, it's not that big of a deal for me now. Um, but as far as being in, in high school and you're trying to deal with all of the hormones and the emotions and all yeah. that, you know, it was, it was, it was hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. High school was not easy. Even though I was homeschooled, it still wasn't all that easy, but I'm, I feel you there. So what was the next step on that faith journey that took place at this point for you? So, um, I, you know, I kind of fell away from the church. I didn't, I, I don't think I've ever abandoned God as far as deciding that he wasn't real and that I didn't want anything to do with him. 
But I, I just couldn't feel him. I didn't see him. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of evidence. And at that point in time, that was about a year or two before my parents divorced. Uh, so that was yeah. the worst part of being home at that time. Yeah. I was trying to escape a lot of that. Well, you're trying to escape. You've got the friction at home with everything going on. And then, you know, a person who's there during those extremely critical, crucial years of spiritual formation, you know, he, you know, moves on in life as we all do. Right. You know, we've all moved on in life at some point or another. But at that point, you're not seeing the fruit that is supposed to manifest itself by those who are Christ followers. And, you know, based on conversations we've had before and what you're alluding to now, it, it's like that pursuit of Jesus seemed to wane while religion seemed to wax and the ritual became more of the focus and the theology and, and your ideas about God became more important than pursuing God within that faith community. Would it be fair to say that that may be what had happened or is there some other nuance that, that needs to be brought out? I would say maybe it was more of just survival at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, my my church community was just a completely different group that I didn't have relationships with them mm-hmm. um, because most of them had uh, either graduated out of the, the youth group and then, I mean, just, just all of that. But also, um, I guess for the most part, it's... It was just survival, uh, trying to escape, and and I. That's whenever my my group of people, as far as like w- what I was experiencing on the day to day, my focus shifted from how can I please God, how can I I actually connect with Jesus more, mm-hmm. to more of um, I don't I don't see you God, I don't see you, or feel you, so. I'm just gonna do me for a little while until I get the opportunity to try to. F- take control of what's happening because I wasn't able to do that in, in adolescence, you know? Yeah. So what did that look like for you at that point? If, if that's something you even want to get into. No, that's fine. Um, it's, I, I was a, I was a pretty good kid. I'll put it that way. And a lot of those traumas that I experienced, uh, it created just the want to to numb those feelings yeah and i would say somewhere in like i mean i i drank occasionally and stuff but i would say my senior year uh, was the first time i ever took ecstasy yeah and and that was a, a pretty big turning point for me i would imagine yeah <laughs> i would imagine yeah x don't play no um and it's it wasn't like I don't think I ever really got addicted to anything. So when I say this, occasionally things got to the point where it offered an escape. Yeah. And it was always like a small group of friends that we, it wasn't like we went out and like did raves or anything. Like yeah. That. You're not, you're not going out <laughs> hunting for it and, you know, looking and no. it's like, oh yeah, when are we going to get our next hit? It's, it's nothing like that. No. Yeah. And even then, like it, we researched I mean, I was I was kind of a nerd anyway. So, like, I researched about, like, how, like, you're not supposed to, like, drink too much water and, and you know, yeah. like, like, all, like all right, if we're going to do this, yeah. we're going to be safe about right, it. Right, exactly. I have a buddy of mine, one of the things that he's <laughs> fond of saying, one of the sayings of his that I've adopted, he and I went to chiropractic school together and graduated together. He practically lived at our apartment because he lived in Arlington. 
So if we had any tests or exams or anything coming up, he'd just stay at the house. Um, one of the things he was fond of saying that he would tell his kids is, listen, if you're going to be stupid and make stupid choices, be, be smart, smart about, about being stupid. That's one of the things <laughs> yeah. he would say. And Jamie, if you're listening, that stuck with me forever. <laughs> but, but yeah, and that's one of the things that I've come to understand, you know, back in my more legalistic, pharisaical times in my life. I would look at people that use drugs because I never used drugs growing up. Drank like a fish whenever I hit about 18, 19, 20 years old. Partied like crazy, but never did any drugs. Never did anything like that. You know, no ecstasy, cannabis, no um, LSD, nothing like that. And I would always look down on and judge people that did that. I'd be like, oh, you just don't, you know, you just think your body's a playground and all this other stuff. You just want to do this or that or whatever else. But what I found was is that at that point in my life, especially in looking back, I was numbing certain things too, but I was using a different substance. I was just using alcohol to do it. Right. And for me, it was an escape. For just about everybody that, that does that and uses it, I would say an exception would be those that use cannabis medicinally there is a measure of trying to escape from something or numb something or just forget about your troubles at least for a little while if you can. So I, I feel you on that one. I get it. You know, and, and that, was, that was something else that I, I hadn't really experienced before. Um, I went into it thinking that, you know, like all of the cliche things about ecstasy that it's just like the love drug and blah, blah, blah. So when you break it down, you know, what MDMA actually is, I mean, an ecstasy is always cut with something else. So whatever else it was, that's terrible, you know. Yeah. Um, but the first time I ever experienced that, I had the most like amazing conversations and relations like with my best friends in those rooms. And that's all that ever happened. It was like, I, I remember, I looked like when it actually, I realized that it kicked in. I looked down at this leaf. There was this giant catapa tree outside and there was a trampoline that we were on. And I picked up that leaf and I just started looking at it and I saw the intricate like details that God put into just a leaf, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's kind of like where, where it stuck for me was um, it wasn't necessarily just getting high it was the first time i ever experienced something bigger than myself and the loss of ego yeah you got out of your own way psychologically you got out of your own way mentally the id took a back seat or in the the id and the ego took a back seat and the super ego as as freud put it was able to really come out and you were able to see things kind of as they were and there's a lot of people though who especially with with mdma with psychedelics with all of those things that's what draws them to it it's not necessarily how it makes them feel it's what it unlocks within them and how it allows them to see and appreciate so much that they missed before right and like what you were talking about earlier with alcohol it actually feeds ego yeah so oh yeah no, let me tell you. i've got stories i can tell but i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna bore you guys with those lurid sordid details you know, and that's why, like, because I had experienced other things, um, but as far as, like, taking the, the deep end and, and deciding to go towards the harder stuff, you know, like, yeah. that's the only time I ever experienced that. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not like anything anybody ever talked about. And it was something completely different for me. Um, 
Not that I'm up talking that because I also want to say that that started uh, an understanding of maybe some of those substances are like the enemy. He he doesn't create things. He only copycats things. Yeah. And co-ops them. Right. So like I had for a very brief moment, the feelings and the connections with my loved ones or my friends, um, the feeling of like bigger than yourself and connectedness, right. That I experienced in, with my youth group and then it was gone. <laughs> yeah. And that's how Satan works. You know, like, my my dad he mentioned some something one time that always stuck with me that he felt like uh drugs were his way to copycat the holy spirit oh wow wow that's interesting so what was his rationale behind that like what what drove that that idea well um there was a there, i mean there was a, a brief now, I would say brief, it was off and on for several years to, to be able to continue to work and provide and stuff that he uh, used meth. Yeah. And so he had his own taste of, of those experiences in a different way, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's probably something that he just experienced, and it was a revelation that God gave him, I would yeah. say. Well, and I think that makes sense, especially when we consider something that is as much of an upper as methamphetamine can be. It, it does, you know, throw everything into overdrive. And for a lot of folks that have a more charismatic background, whenever the Holy Spirit moves in, in those particular circumstances, it is, it, everything goes into overdrive. And so, like you said, there is a copycat element yeah, there. Definitely. And it's, it's one of those things where you begin to pursue not necessarily the high and how it makes you feel, but all of the other things that encompass that experience, that connection. Because whenever you go back and, like, let's say if you decide you wanted to, you know, return and you wanted to find that ecstasy again, it's not the ecstasy that you're after. Right. It's not the MDMA. It's not what that feels like to you. It's the experience that that brings and that connection that you want and we all crave connection exactly you know this is something that daniel and i talked about last week you know we're more connected now than we have ever been with social media and everything else but we are so disconnected as a people and people want that connection and if you can get that through x y or z you're going to pursue that and that's what you want because as we're encoded and it's hardwired within us to want that community so what was the next step on that journey that, that took place at that point for you? Um, shortly after is when I started college. Uh, I went to ECU in Ada. And that was one of the darker, probably the darkest times, I, I guess, for me. Um, I did actually decide, you know, that I didn't want those toxic, <laughs> I will say toxic, uh, substances in my body and to the long-term effects because when i say that like i only did it probably like four or five times it wasn't something you know you're not going tripping every no weekend. no yeah not by any means but i'm usually pretty self-aware and i could tell that i had a, an effect on my serotonin levels <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so we were talking about that before we went live talking about <laughs> serotonin and all that good stuff <laughs> so i i i was thinking about you know 
how it was affecting me and and deciding, you know, like that's not the road and stuff that I want to go down. I was still craving the connection and everything. Um, Fast forward just a little bit, like I did end up starting like the first real relationship. uh, And that kind of distracted me from wanting to feel numb about everything. Um, We... We did end up doing mushrooms at one point in time. <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking about mushrooms on a pizza. <laughs> and and I, this is probably like the one thing that I'm still quite unsure about, I guess. Uh, but that was a completely different experience uh, in the natural, I guess. And, and I still don't quite know where I stand with it. I mean... I don't, I haven't done it in 10 years and I yeah. probably won't because I'm a mom and I have different responsibilities and, yeah. and I just don't know exactly, well, biblically the laws of the land and, and all yeah. that, you know, Romans 13. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm not trying to like say, Hey, you guys, you know, go out there and <laughs> yeah, let's throw a disclaimer on this. We are not saying or advocating that you should engage in any illicit drug use or use any illicit substances whatsoever. This is Sarah telling her story and recounting her experiences and how it has led to her spiritual formation and how it has led to her appreciating grace more. And that's that's eventually what we're leading up to with this conversation. So hang in there. We're getting there. But with that being said, just understand this conversation for what it is. So please continue. I'm a firm believer that God will take the bad and use it for good. Yes. I've I've experienced (laughs) enough of that in my life that I agree wholeheartedly. Um, But through those experiences, I always connected with God in a way that moved me forward in the actual relationship with him. It kind of knocked me upside the head and was just like, hey, wake up, you know, like, yeah pay attention to what you're doing. And he, he spoke to me in only a way, I guess, that I could listen at that point in time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like through some of that, I began to experience uh, like a language in the back of my head mm-hmm. that I could actually like audibly repeat out loud. So I knew that it wasn't just like weird voice (laughs) yeah it it wasn't just abnormal or strange brain patterns firing in the language centers of your brain it was something that was that was real right and and that was whenever you were under that the influence of the psilocybin right um and a scientific uh study on that actually if you look at the molecules of psilocybin they're very closely related to dmt and dimethyltryptamine it that's what makes our dreams it's how the trees connect with the grass and how everything can coexist together it's yeah it's a common molecule that's found in a lot of different things and if and if you're interested in more information about that there's a documentary called the spirit molecule it gets into the science behind that it's really interesting and as someone who geeks out on physiology and neurophysiology (laughs) i love that stuff so you experienced something very very real whenever you um use psilocybin and it it created you and i and we had this conversation before and it's one of the reasons why i wanted to see if you'd be interested to just sitting down and chatting about it but that you experienced something very real at that point that you felt sort of and i don't want to put words in your mouth but it almost led to kind of a reconnection with god that you feel like that you had lost 
and it it also um because of that like the the term uh glossolalia uh, is is what some people experience it uh, it's rec you know re recorded or whatever um but it kind of refreshed some of because like before that with the pentecostal background i felt like speaking in tongues was pretentious yeah um, well, I grew up that way, and that's something I had even told you. I thought it was a, lo a load of bunk whenever right. I was growing even whenever I was in it. I still <laughs> felt that way about it. So, yeah. So, through that, the, the questions of, okay, if, if I'm experiencing this, and it's more than just in my head, I guess, um, what is it, and why is it happening? And whenever I actually studied the molecules and all of that. Uh, like I said, I'm a nerd, but okay. <laughs> um, I, 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 I asked God, I was like, what are you, what are you trying to, to tell me here? And, and I felt like the answer to that was that it was the language of life. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the code that everything shares in order to communicate and exist. And then even furthering that, um, I started to ask the questions about, okay, well, if speaking in tongues is actually real, then, then like, is there order to it? Is there like, it just, it, it snapped me out of like thinking about it only religiously and thinking about it like, okay, maybe this is a gift that you have for people. Um, yeah. and what is it? <laughs> yeah. It reoriented your, your perspective to thinking, well, Hey, maybe this entire concept isn't limited to the box that I've placed it in based on the upbringing that I've had. And, you know, and even now I can hear some of the folks that maybe listen to this podcast as, as kind of a troll just to see what kind of nonsense Kevin and I are going to be getting up to <laughs> next, you know, and thinking, oh, look at how far off the reservation Lee's gone. You know, I, I can't help but you hear people think, well, you're saying that speaking in tongues is legitimate? Well, what about cessationism? You know, what about what it says in 1 Corinthians 13? And, and for me and where I sit now, theologically speaking and spiritually speaking, I still land in the realm of a cessationist. I, I still believe that that is a gift that did exist. It was a very real thing, but that at this point, that's not something that has continued. But even then, I see people like you and I meet people like you who are reasonable, you're rational, you're level-headed. I try to be. <laughs> as level-headed as a person can be. Because, I mean, here's the thing, you know, I, I view myself as a pretty level-headed guy. But I'm messed up, and I'm not as level-headed as I'd like to think. And if we're real about that, none of us are really as level-headed as we want to think we are. All of us are a little crazy. All of us are a little messed up. You know, you are, I am. We recognize that about ourselves. And I, I think that's the difference, because a lot of people don't. But I meet someone like you who's level-headed. You've got a good head on your shoulders. You've got good sense about you. And there are so many people that would tell me what they've experienced, and I'm just like, I would just write it off. Like, ah, yeah, that's, there's nothing to that. That's just a load of crap or whatever else. You don't know what you're talking about. It's something else. But whenever you really get to know somebody and you know the kind of person they are and you know they're not crazy, you know they're not full of crap. You know they're not, you know, you know, buying what they're selling themselves and they're just trying to sell a bill of goods. And you hear someone recount that experience and you know their metal, you know the kind of person they are and what they're made of. It, at least for me, it gives me pause. 
Like it gives me a tremendous amount of pause to just say, oh, Sarah, now that's no, there's nothing to that. That's just a trick of neurochemistry as it relates to, you know, psilocybin and dimethyltryptamine and how it affects, you know, thalamic disinhibition with Wernicke's area, Broca's area and how the brain works and all that. It's way harder for me to write that off whenever I know the kind of person you are. And so for me, like I said, I'm, I still retain that conviction, but I, where that has changed for me is, is I hear stories like you, like yours, whenever you, you recount this and I'm not willing to just write it off out of hand. I would do well to hear what you have to say. And I think we would all do well to hear what people have to say whenever they speak to their experience and it runs counter to the narrative that we have always held to. And I just, I just think that's incredibly interesting because whenever you have that strong of an experience, you can't help but wonder, yeah, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, God, what is it you're showing me in this moment? What are you showing me in this experience? What is the lesson here? What is the takeaway from here? And so how did that process continue on for you in that point where you're wondering, hey, maybe there is something to this? So there was, uh, in, in the afterwards, because... Uh, you know, every time that I experienced some type of something like that, I would always research and, and line it up with the Bible because sometimes, you know, well, we should do that anyway with everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I just didn't want to allow Satan to start with something, you know. Yeah. Um. So Robert Morris, he he ended up having a. A sermon about speaking in tongues and stuff and and he mentioned um that in the beginning the god spoke the world into existence and and the the bible talks about the power of of the tongue and and that there was one language before the tower of babel fell yeah and i was like oh okay well that's that's pretty interesting um and then in Acts, you know, when, when Jesus talks about uh, the the tongues, uh, the, the flaming, or... Yeah, yeah the, on the day of Pentecost, <laughs> yes, yes. In Acts chapter 2, whenever they're all gathered in the upper room, they're waiting on the Holy Spirit, they're waiting on that power from on high, and then boom, there yeah. it is. You get that <laughs> right. rushing mighty wind that blows in, or that sound of a rushing mighty wind, the tongues of fire light on their heads, and then everyone hears their own they hear the gospel in their own native tongue. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a reversal of battle. That kind of started something for me that was like, okay, so basically we were all connected and in, in that way, um, because through psilocybin, you, you do feel like the loss of ego, obviously, but you feel like you are connected to absolutely everything. You see God, or at least I did. I can't say for others but I saw God in absolutely everything. For once, everything was alive and connected and his beauty was just there. And his fingerprints were exactly. all over it. Yeah. And it was like the romancing uh, that was like so so many times, especially as Americans, we get too caught up in ourselves, too caught up in our, in our day-to-day to stop and actually pay attention to the majesty and like what is here, you know, like yeah. the gift of the world that we've actually been given. So I guess through that, um, to go back to 
question, sorry. No, that's okay. Just just how did that, because you, you said that that experience with the psilocybin, and, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing it in my words, and I may not get this right, so if I don't, just let me know. But you, you basically essentially said that, you know, speaking in tongues, it wasn't anything you really gave much credence to. Right. But at this point, that, that sort of reoriented oh, okay. your position towards that. So it, it also kind of redefined what... Um, what happened whenever we we all became separated uh, in the garden, but also like after the Tower of Babel and yeah, all with that. Yeah, Babel. And um, and it was about like what is sin? Because like w- when you grow up in in a very campy, churchy, yeah, in a fundamentalist right? environment, <laughs> words lose their meaning. Yeah. And so the words like repentance and sin that are like used to bash you over the head basically um they don't hold a lot of meaning for you yeah and so i started to grow in this discovery of what sin actually was through that experience um and what i felt like he taught me through that was that all all sin does is boil down to selfishness yeah and whenever we move beyond ourselves sorry no, that's okay. You're good. Um, ka. <laughs> Whenever we move beyond ourselves, and I, I think I see where you're going with this. Whenever it, sin boiling down to selfishness, that's that's profound. Because whenever you think about, whenever you think about the law, you look at the Old Testament, you go back to the law, and you look at what the law was and how it was given and even in the patriarchal age where you have Abraham and you have Abraham's interaction with God it's it's almost like there's this tribalist um, uh, what's the word expression of faith in which each family unit is more or less a church in and of itself and then you get into Israel's national identity as seen through the law and you have all these requirements that that dictate what an Israelite does and then you get into the realm of Christ and what does Jesus say about the law? It's summed up in love God and love neighbor. But then you look at the old law through the lens of, if you're an Israelite, your national identity is bound up in your observance of that law, whether you're a good Israelite or a bad Israelite. You're an Israelite by birth, by circumcision. That, that places you in community if you're a man. If you're a woman, well then no, because, well, anyway, it's obvious. If it's not to our listeners, well, just study it and it will become obvious. But whenever you engage in observing the law as an Israelite, that is an expression of fidelity to God. And even if you want to do something else, you're not going to do that because your desire is to follow after God and to be pleasing unto Him. So for you to deviate from the law, that's selfishness. Right. And whenever you get into this dispensation in which that old law is no more, it has been removed. You know, the, the handwriting of ordinances is, you know, that was against us, as it's, as it's said in one place. I think it's Colossians. And Jesus says that the whole of the law can be summed up as love neighbor and love self. Well, if you engage in an activity that harms your neighbor, if you sleep with your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's husband... If you steal something from your neighbor, if you get mad at your neighbor and hit them over the head with a club because, you know, maybe their dog's going to the bathroom in your yard whenever they let their dog out, you know, all of that stems from selfishness. I have been harmed, so I'm going to avenge myself 
by getting them. I want to be with their husband or with their wife, so I'm going to seduce them and engage in an illicit relationship with them. It's an expression of selfishness. And that's, that's really a profound way of looking at what sin is and how you came to that realization of sin being condensed down to selfishness and the pursuit of self and the pursuit of the ego. That's really interesting. So it came even back down to Lucifer. So um, a lot of people think that the Satanist church is like devil worshipers and all that. And it's actually like they, they have the story of, they actually don't believe in Lucifer or God, um, but they have the story of Lucifer and the fact that he wanted glory and he became selfish, I guess. Yeah. Um, so whenever that in itself became the definition of sin, like it became real to me, I guess. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is that I started to think about like what, what happened in the beginning in the garden. So like as soon as they ate the apple, what happened yeah well as soon as that happened their eyes were open and they could right. discern right. good and evil oh well, and and what did the the snake say he said that oh, you won't surely die nah <laughs> it's gonna be all right you see the reason god don't want you to eat of this fruit is because he knows that whenever you eat it you will become like him and and that you'll know what he knows right yes and then the first thing that happened is, is that they were aware of their nakedness yeah they became self-aware. I, I feel like through that experience, God showed me that a lot of the things that we struggle with is ourselves. That selfishness yeah. is manifestate, uh, a manifestation of the fall of, of Adam and Eve. Oh, dude, yeah. Well, it's, it's whenever you really think about it, I think that's right. I think that's spot on because whenever I have my struggles that I struggle with, it's so easy and it's, it's harder now for me to see it the way I used to see it because it was really easy for me then to point my fingers at other people right. and it's your fault. Like it's my dad's fault for doing this. It's my mom's fault for doing this. Well, the reason I'm this way is because it's this guy's fault over here. You made me mad. And that's why I, you know, hit you in the head with a hammer and, you know, tried to fight you. It's because you made me mad. It's like, well, no, I was angry. And then I expressed that anger in a way that wasn't healthy. And then whenever it comes down to other things that we tend to struggle with or questions that we struggle with or issues we have in our own faith, a lot of times that's ourselves getting in our own way. Yeah, uh, we, we, like to, we like to blame uh, a red dude with horns and a pitchfork, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but really it's, it's the fact that we've been disconnected from God. And the other side, you've got the, the two thing, you know, the angel, the angel and the, on one shoulder right. and the devil on the other. Whenever we're the, the other, we're the devil, you know, over here on the, on the side, because that's the part of us that gives into the carnal thinking. Yeah. Um, the, the angel is, is God always pursuing our hearts and trying to talk to us if we slow down and we listen. If, yeah. if we actually like pay attention to where our thoughts go. Um, one of the other things is that they talk about, you know, the monkey mind. Have you ever heard yeah. of that? So if you just reach from one idea to the next without ever actually being aware of where you're going with your thoughts, 
sometimes you just you miss it and then you become so self-absorbed because it's easy to throw our, our, our little pity parties and mm-hmm. to focus only what's going on with us yeah well and it's also i think that also manifests itself in the high degree of certitude that we tend to hold at least i, I feel like that it applies in that manner as well for me because the focus was on me the focus was on how much knowledge i could have right and instead of it being, you know, I'm getting in my own way in a destructive way, that certitude and that certainty in the doctrines and the dogmas and the positions that I held is absolutely sacrosanct and above reproach and above questioning. For me, now I see that that was just as much that monkey mind as, as anything destructive I could have done. And in that moment, it doesn't seem destructive to have that certainty. In that moment, it doesn't seem destructive to say, well, unless you believe X, Y, and Z about these particular doctrines, just like I do, well, you're not thinking the right way. And that means your faith is not going to be expressed appropriately. And if your faith isn't expressed appropriately, well, that means you're doing so to the damnation of your own soul. It's really easy to see now how destructive that mindset can be. But when you're entrenched right in the middle of it, you really don't get it until it becomes obvious or someone makes it obvious, you know, whether it's a friend or whether it's, you know, God himself making it obvious to you. So not only did it like help me to better understand what was going on in myself, but as far as all of those religious experiences that I grew up and the people that I was kind of, uh, for lack of better terms, I, I doubted their walk or (laughs) I, (laughs) sorry. Okay. So for those of you out there listening, Sarah's got a little bit of the giggles. And the reason for that is, is that this is a rare interview where we're doing face to face and person to person. Um, yeah, Sarah actually works for me now as well in my office. And, we're recording this after a work day and we're sitting in chairs across from each other and my chair just fell on itself the little cylinder just collapsed and i fell down about four inches and that struck her as funny so sorry so not only did it help me get beyond uh some of the religious ideas that i had but it also helped me to connect better with them because it also realigned that idea of what they're struggling with not being able to move past themselves if i have that issue with myself and that is what sin is and that's what separates us from god and then all those people who had placed stumbling blocks in my path or been an aid in the stumbling blocks i'll put it that way because i probably put most of those stumbling (laughs) blocks there (laughs) a lot of times that's what we do yeah um but the ones who you know uh, picked up some of the slack there i guess i i I could actually understand a little bit more about them that they they also have to deal with their own brain, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, it made you more empathetic, right? You were able to appreciate where they were coming from. I didn't I didn't take things uh, so personal. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> well, and I think that's what we do whenever. And Kevin and I, we've talked about this off the air so many times. And Daniel and I, we were talking about it as well a little bit there are people who get really really bent out of shape and they take things personally that they really shouldn't i know i did and so much of what's taken personally is is whenever you speak 
in a manner or espouse an idea or ideology that tends to run counter to what they view as normative or it runs counter to their particular doctrinal convictions, well, you're not attacking their doctrine. You're not really even attacking anything. You're just saying, well, I see it this way. And there are people that take that personally because they can't divest themselves as a person from the doctrines that they espouse. Right. And and I think that maybe even the fact that I had been dipped in so many different denominations, it kind of helped me to realize too, like, okay, the Baptists are really good at salvation. The Pentecostals are really good at repentance. And uh, you're able to see the strengths in these right. different traditions that you've and, been a part and of. And not only that, but, you know, Scripture talks about that, about being the different body parts. And, yeah. and that they, each, each branch has a way to reach different people in a way that I can't. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the beauty that is often missed, and that I know it's something that I didn't really appreciate and I would even castigate, is, is this idea of there being denominations runs counter to what we see in Scripture. There's no denominations. There's only one church, and if you're not a part of that one church, well, then you're lost. And it's not the Baptists. It's not the Pentecostals. It's not this. It's not that. It's this. And if you don't belong to this, well, then that's it. Well, the issue is, is that you see there being divisions amongst people even then i mean there's been kevin's alluded to this he spoke to this point like there's been disagreements throughout the entirety of the history of the church because the church which is perfect is made up of imperfect people exactly it's made up of imperfect bricks and there are people that jesus can reach through a particular means that i won't be able to reach there are people that will be reached with your story that I would never be able to reach or that Kevin would never be able to reach. And that's the beauty of all of this is that holistic, that holism that exists within the church itself is a universal. And, you know, so many, so many times in the churches of Christ and also in other Pentecostal traditions that, you know, the idea where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches, you know, that I do believe contextually he's speaking in an individual sense. You are a branch. I am a branch, but that, can apply to the various denominations that exist out there as well. And a lot of times that, that viewpoint is, it's castigated. It's, it's, it's spoken out against, it's railed against. No, he's not talking about denominations there, not at all. I'm like, well, okay, well, how do you know that? Because practically speaking, there are people that have been reached through other means than the means that we are directly a part of that otherwise would have never been reached for Christ. And these are people that devote their lives to him. These are people that live out the gospel in their lives. And to discount the means by which they've been reached, to, to me, is just short-sighted. But who am I? What do I know? <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, there's, there's freedom, I would say, probably, in being okay with not knowing. Um, well, whenever you're able to grasp the idea that my salvation is not predicated upon myself having a perfect understanding and perfect knowledge of all of God's will and the whole counsel of God and the scriptures and that my salvation rests in the mercy and the grace of God and his justice being meted out on Calvary upon Jesus and about Jesus being the recipient of what was due me if you take the penal substitutionary atonement view of, of salvation 
or if you take the Chris's Victor perspective where Christ, you know, paid the ransom that was due to the enemy so that we could be one from the depths of sin, you know, whatever your perspective is, you then realize that salvation is not, it's not up to me having all the answers. But whenever you're still firmly in that mindset of my salvation relies on me having the right understanding of everything, well, then there's a lot of fear there. And there is no freedom where there is fear. It's it's hard to love people too. Yes. That's, I would say that's probably like the feeling of connectedness that I experienced, you know, uh, in both, both areas, the youth group and through psilocybin, I guess. Um, that was the main, the main thing I, I grasped from that is, is that God wants us to connect with each other, to love each other and to love with abandon, you know? Absolutely. To love well and to love in a real way right what, what does that look like you know what does christ-like love actually yeah. look like yeah and and i think it, it i think you, you see a picture of that in a statement paul makes to the church in galatia in galatians 6 where he says i think it's galatians 6 it may not be i may be loud and wrong kevin knows a whole lot more about exactly where those verses are than i do so he tends to speak to that better <laughs> than i do but you know bear one another's burdens and in doing so, what do you do? You fulfill the law of Christ. You bear one another's burdens. Well, what does it mean to bear one another's burdens? What does it mean for me to bear your burden? What does it mean for you to bear my burden? It means we are there for each other. It means that we express our fears and our concerns. And that means we share in joy with one another. We share in love with one another. We share that, that communal bond that only exists, or that in large part can only exist within that realm of of just of serving God and following Christ and following Jesus we see the relationship between God and and Christ between the father and the son and the spirit and that is an exemplification of what it means for us to love well and to be in lockstep with one another as well and it's not this mushy gushy ooey gooey love it's this real platonic fraternal brotherhood love that even goes deeper than that and it's really hard to fathom that whenever you are so focused on finding all the right answers and making sure that you're going to ace that theological exam that you take because whenever we die according to so many people the way you would think it is from so many of the messages that you hear and sermons you hear whenever we die and we stand in judgment and we go up there it's like we're given a, a hundred page test that we have to take it's a theological exam and if we if we pass with an 85 or better well then we get to we get to step into the kingdom but that's not how it works it's it's love is the ultimate expression of fidelity to god the whole of the law is summed up in love god and love your neighbor so what does that look like for for me in the awakening of what that did uh it was seeing people as souls and not just like damned souls okay so like, yeah right but the struggles and, and seeing them beyond what this earthly world is i guess seeing them in three dimensions right or four dimensions right and and that allowed me to actually love them despite how whatever feelings i had um if it was negative the fact that god looks down and that's their child his child you know um he created them with a purpose and that they're dealing with all of their own struggles 
they have to make decisions based off of the tools that they were given in life. The downfalls in their own religious experiences, um, you know, the list goes on. Whenever I see someone now, those are the things that are before me that I realize I'm not, I'm not just talking to somebody. I'm actually experiencing another like human soul that God loves. You're sharing you know? in life with them. Right. Yeah. And when you when you're able to do that, you actually the the vulnerability, like if you both are on the same page, like that's because that's basically what we're called to do, you know, bearing each other's burdens through that. Yeah. There's some acknowledging that um, the vulnerability that comes with that and just being you. Yeah. And being okay with that. Well, and that's one of the things that I think allowed us to forge the friendship that we have is that you're a real person. You know, you don't you don't put out any pretense. You know, the Sarah that you see in the store, the Sarah that you see in my office, the Sarah that you see at church, the Sarah you see anywhere is the Sarah that is. And I try to be that way as well. I, I, we all still wear masks to a point, but you know, people like you that are in my circle, people that I'm friends with like Kevin and like you and like Daniel, and I mean, who more so though than your spouse, right? right. Like you and your husband, yeah. Kim and I, me and my wife, you can be real with those people. You know, you can be real and you can put out there, you know, who you really are without any pretense. And that's one of the things I love about being able to have conversations like this with you is I can say whatever is on my heart and we can share in that and we can have a wonderful conversation and understand each other better and you can help me in that regard. And I, I appreciate the help that you have been and the friendship that we have. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Like I've, like I've said before and we've talked about here in the office, you're like an adopted sister. <laughs> You know? <laughs> Feelings are mutual. Well, for sure. I'm glad. Uh, hopefully, I'm not like an adopted <laughs> right? sister to you, though. Yeah. It's, I mean. yeah. <laughs> but it's it's wonderful to be able to experience that with people, and whenever you're able to remove those masks and be real with one another, and you forge that real connection, that's when those burdens can be borne together. On the on the flip side of that, I think that that's the reason why so many people are falling away from the church. Oh. I think Why is that, that? I think that it's because we so desperately want to be vulnerable and to be real with each other. And church has not allowed that to happen. I say church is the building usually because mm -hmm. like... Well, in, in, most, right. in most terms, there are definitely exceptions to that. I, I think that Kim and I have landed in a place, at least at this point in our faith, where that is the case. Um, I had shared with Daniel that, you know, we in the last episode that we are no longer a part of the fellowship that we were a part of before. And we love the people there. They're wonderful people think very highly of them, but there just wasn't the space there to allow us to hold convictions that may or encounter to the status quo. But where we are now, that's, that's definitely the case. And so we're very thankful for that. But I, I think you're right. It's, it's also, um, it's dividing in a way, because like if, if that's what you really want, and you're searching for the ability to bear your soul, then that also the enemy comes in and he kind of whispers those things. And, and that's what plays in your mind that you're alone. Yeah. And if you're alone at church, then you can just stay home, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Why even bother right. at that point? Uh, because if, if you're just trying to like play church, cause that's, that's what I experienced a lot. Like I felt like a lot of my, my ad adolescent, 
experiences in, in church were playing church and the pretentiousness. Um, that's not healthy for anyone. <laughs> no, well, it doesn't lend itself to appropriate spiritual formation. At that point, you're not really growing at all. At that, you know, one of the phrases that one of the phrases that I heard so often growing up was going through the motions, and you know, it became sort of a cliche for anyone who you know maybe you're sitting there, and I, and I know even to this day I still struggle with this idea. There are times where I'll be distracted. My mind's not on what's being said. My mind's not on the conversation that's taking place. I'm thinking about you know what I've got to do to finish getting my taxes taken care right. of. You know, I'm thinking about are we out of milk? You know, things like that, and you get distracted, and then it's like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, so yes, praise the Lord, and you raise your hand or whatever else, and then the basket comes around, you drop your money in, but your heart's not in it. You're not thinking about it. You are playing church, essentially, because you're going through and doing the rituals, but you're not really connected. Exactly. There's, There's no communion with the Lord. Yeah. Or each other. And at that point... Like, why be there? <laughs> yeah, at that point, what is the point? And I think it really, I think what you're saying about the the church in decline, I, I think there's a ton of truth to that. Because we are so inundated with just just stupid stuff that doesn't matter. Like with social media and all of the saccharine nonsense that exists, it's 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 all things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things it's all this stuff that really makes no difference one way or another you know what happens like there's no real connection there and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with with that lack of connection and that lack of community and that lack of of being able to really be vulnerable with with one another and so even on on that topic as as i have studied uh you know substances and and why that they're bad um the scripture like one of the ones we always go to is is be sober-minded yeah um when you look up the strong uh concordance of of what that actual word is of sober-minded it means to be alert and be aware and to be like guarded uh and that goes it's not just substances it means our daily lives if it's work that controls your mind, your 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 marriage, your kids. If we allow those things to take over every thought and to persuade us in in emotion and 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 decisions and things, it's a spiritual self awareness, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that it, it's it's even like it's it's more than just you know like substances or whatever. It's just making making sure that you you're in tune with God. Yeah. to be aware of him and make those conscious decisions to actually tune into him whenever you get the chance to like one of the other scriptures talks about uh to to be in prayer constantly yeah pray without ceasing right and so a lot of people think so like how can you even do that yeah. well how you would be able to do that actually because prayer is just a, a personal relationship with you and god um what that actually looks like is, is that you involve him with every thought. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and I really like that you're bringing that up because the idea of sober mindedness so often we condense that down because at least me, I, whenever I say we, I, I mean in general, but I'm specifically, I mean for myself, I tend to be a reductionist. I like to try to reduce things down to its core essence and get the principle that's there and then find application for that principle. 
but so often when you look at sober-mindedness, it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? We think of it in terms of a substance abuse milieu. You know, it's right. like, well, that means that we don't drink, we don't get drunk, we don't get stoned, we don't get high, we don't do any of those things. It means sober mind. It means we stay sober. And that's not necessarily what it means. It's not limited to that realm. It, the, it certainly has application in that realm. But I really, really like that insight that you have because that's not a way I'd really thought about it before. It's, it's this idea that you are always on alert for the things that can get in the way of you fully expressing what it means to be a child of God in your love for God and your love for neighbor. It means putting down your phone, not scrolling through Facebook aimlessly just so that you can pacify whatever that You get that boredom. dopamine hit. Yeah, right, exactly. It's, it's being intentional, and that's something that's really hard to do in our time. <laughs> Dude, for real. <laughs> um, the discipline that it actually takes to develop that and, and self-control another one of those fruits right. of the spirit <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly might be worth mentioning there but with but even with praying without ceasing that's reflective of that sober mindedness as well it's representative of a mind that is attuned to what matters because it, it, praying without ceasing, I remember I used to wonder as a kid, does that mean you're just praying all the time? It's just like you're always in your mind, you have a prayer rolling over. Because with me, I've got a one-track mind. Like you wives and moms, I don't know how y'all do it. Like Kim, it's amazing to me. She can have five different conversations going on at once with our kids and with her sister, and this is going on, and she never loses a narrative thread. Like us, we're sitting here like face-to-face -face having this conversation and I'm still worried about my train of thought getting derailed and just going off the, just going off the deep end. So if, if I'm supposed to pray without ceasing, if that means that I'm just praying and I have a constant prayer playing on a loop, I'm like, oh, what is that? No, it just means it's, it's a mindfulness. It's a centeredness. Right. It's presence. And it's, it's also like uh, reconnecting. I guess, with more than just the man-made, I guess, uh, or would say, because I think, I, you know, you talked about what nature, how nature reflects God. Yeah. Um, in your uh, series, series that we did yes. a while back. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that even means stepping out and, you know, just putting your feet in the grass and just giving God glory or, or, or like to me, worship is nature and yeah. and to be able to just deep you know unplug and get away from everything so that you can realign yourself you can get recentered. right <laughs> well it's a means by which you can approach worship it's a means by which worship can be expressed and so often we relegate our idea of worship to a set of rituals and practices that we do in a building with other people that believe the same stuff we do and you know, it, like what you just said, putting your feet in the grass or going out and, you know, throwing a line or seeing a sunset, how that can be a worshipful act. I mean, I preached against that idea. Like, I preached hard against that idea for years. You're mean to tell me you're going down to the river. You just want to go fishing, don't want to come to church. Well, maybe <laughs> you don't. And, and what's so funny is, is it's, it's conversations like this that can approach that. Like, this can be a form of church. My buddy, my jiu-jitsu coach, he and I, we get together in the mornings and we, we work out together. We live together. We've had some really good conversations, some really good spiritual conversations. And 
in, in my mind, it was so hard to divest the idea of church being the building that we go to to do the rituals together as a group and then hear some preaching and then sing some songs. And, and then if it's a Sunday morning, we eat the cracker and, mm. or, or the bread and we drink the, the Welch's and then we go and we do our thing. And I used to rail against that idea of this, our discourse we're having now being a form of church of the discussions and the realness and the sharing that my buddy Kyle and I have in the in the mornings whenever we lift together or after jujitsu whenever we whenever we're done simulating murder in our pajamas you know <laughs> rolling around trying to choke each other and all that good stuff you know we're standing around afterwards and we're talking about the struggles we've had in life or how our day was or the joy that we had or you know some insight that we took away from the scripture whenever we were in the word or something that we saw in nature that brought to mind something else how that can be a form of worship. And whenever you limit that to being getting together in a building and doing these rituals, you're missing out on so much more that God has given us as a gift. It's, it's not as personal when it's corporate. Uh, dude, that's the <laughs> truth. And it's not. It's not. And, and I'm, I also don't want to take away from the fact that I do believe that corporate worship and and being in fellowship as a whole and, and being a church together is very important yes there is value there there's definitely value there but it's not the end-all be-all of everything it's it doesn't pour the same liquid into the cup that you need I guess. exactly <laughs> that's a great way of putting it and it's 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 so true though and i, I think that if we ignore that corporate worship aspect that we can lose a tremendous amount of value. But if we ignore everything else in favor of that, we lose it all as well. I would I would even go as far as to compare it as that's how my my personal walk, my personal worship is um, in that that time. And that church and corporate is what I can do for other people. Yeah. Um, to me, I like that was a, a maturity that I had to learn is is that you know most people don't want to wake up early and go to church and the only reason why they won't they end up doing that is because they realize like we are to be the hands and the feet of Jesus we are to pray for each other to bear one another's burdens to iron sharpen iron fellowship is important that's what God called us to do so we don't go to church for ourselves you know? yeah it goes back to that selfishness right yeah, it goes back to that idea of sin being that selfishness. What kind of mindset do we have whenever we do assemble with our brethren? And even um, as I've tried to let go of some of the, like some of the things I still struggle with in, in the background, like corporate worship and people telling me how I feel whenever I, we, we sing that <laughs> together and I don't feel anything like that. Yeah. Um, that's probably like the, the biggest thing that I struggle with. And it's just stopping like if, if, if it creates something negative in myself, it's praying for each person that's on stage. It's praying the Psalms or, or for a renewed heart or we have those decisions that we can make to allow ourselves to be part of something bigger than ourselves yeah. while we have those negative moments in corporate, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's even those negative moments, can, they create value they create the opportunity for spiritual growth and the opportunity to engage in a better way and to realign our perceptions to be closer to that of Christ and to be more Christ-like in that whenever those moments arise. 
So is we get ready to, to go ahead and wrap this up because we've been talking longer than what either I think you or I figured we would be talking yeah. for. But this has been an <laughs> awesome conversation. I've really enjoyed it. What, if anything, do you feel would be absolutely necessary to add to the discussion? Is there anything that you want to say that's just on your heart that you really want to get out there? Um, the biggest thing is, is that I don't want anyone to take this conversation and just pull the negativity out of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, that's one of the things Kevin and I try to make a big point of too. You know? Yeah. That I, I, I really hope that that's not, um, how this, any of this came across because, uh, I do believe that God meets us where we're at. And, and I'm so thankful that he met me where I was at in my stupid decisions. You know? Well, and that's, and it's, it, it's, it's so interesting to me to see that, you know, you've arrived with all of the the trauma and the fallout from that trauma and those experiences that you dealt with in your life, that you have ended up in a place where, you know, Jesus reigns supreme in your life. Anyone Absolutely. that knows you, anyone that has a conversation with you, if they don't see Jesus in you, they ain't looking. You're you're a, a wonderful picture of what a Christian ought to be, and that's that's coming from someone whose judgment might not be what it ought to be. But in any case, just from my perspective, you you exemplify what being Christ-like is. You have a genuine love for people, and I admire that. I, well, I think that's you. wonderful. Um, I would say the other thing uh, I would hope is that if anyone does resonate and that they've experienced some type of background like this, that um, they don't feel comfortable talking to anyone. Like I am completely available and there's no judgment, no, no bars held, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So listening, all of you out there, if, if you're listening and you've heard this and Sarah's story does resonate with you and you'd like to reach out to her and, and chat with her, get a hold of me and I can put you in touch with her. We'd love to hear from you. But it's just, it's so cool. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to have this conversation because while our stories are very similar in many ways, they're also incredibly different. Um, my path has been wildly different from yours. What you've experienced has been wildly different from what Kevin has experienced, what I've experienced. And I know that there's got to be someone out there. I know there's someone out there. Whenever they hear this, they're going to say, whoa, she's telling my story. Because I've told my story before, and there are many that have told me, wow, man, you're telling my story. But my story and your story, while there, there's overlap, it's not the same thing. There are people that have experienced what you have, that have gone through what you have, and your story will benefit them. So I'm glad you were willing to come on here as nervous as you were <laughs> and, and share from your heart everything. I appreciate it tremendously because we've taken time away from your husband and from your little girl, and I want you to be able to get back to them because it's it's approaching a late hour. So we'll go ahead and bring this to a close. Um, as always, we hope that this has been beneficial for all of you listening. This is something that Kevin and I love to do, and I know Sarah has expressed that she's gotten a lot of blessings from this, and we wanted to give her the opportunity to bless other people. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I've Absolutely. had fun. I'm glad. I'm glad it did end up being a fun conversation. We had some technical issues, but we were able to work through those. To all of our listeners, we thank you all so much because it's for all of you that we do this. We don't do it just to hear ourselves talk. God knows we do enough of that as it is. But we love all of you. We thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your support in this podcast and the fact that we know that we are doing good in the lives of others and that we're being a blessing for others. That's why Kevin and I keep doing it. 
Uh, we never want to close out any episode without extending that thanks. And also to ask you to continue to share this podcast with others. Give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, on Google, on whatever platform you use. If you can review us and give us something positive, we appreciate that tremendously. If you have any questions, any suggestions, anything along those lines, feel free to drop us a line. Our email address is in the show notes. We love hearing from y'all. We appreciate you all, and we'll see you all again very soon.